Now, by the end of this message, uh, I want each one of us to be able to give really a clear answer uh, to this question. And the question is this, how should we respond to the threat of idolatry in our lives? How should we respond to the threat of idolatry in our lives? Now, to help us answer this question, I want us to look at that final verse uh, in First John chapter 5, verse 21. Um, I think this passage actually gives us the answer to this. It says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I think there are three lessons I just want to share with you from that verse that John is teaching us in this verse, uh, which I think together helps us uh, answer how we should respond to the threat of idolatry. The first truth we learn in this verse is that the world is full of idols. The world is full of idols. That's the first truth. Uh, the, the German atheist Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are more idols in the world than there are realities. There are more idols in the world than there are realities. In other words, the world lives and breathes idolatry. And I think this is the first thing John wants us to understand as he comes to the end of this letter. Because he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Um, we should take every word seriously. And notice John says there, idols. He doesn't say idol, right? He says idols. And that's because there are many idols people worship in the world. What is an idol? What does he mean by idol here? Well, an idol is anything that seeks to replace uh, or stand in the place of the true God. And he seeks to do that as a direct, if you like, object of our worship, of our love, or affection. Whatever you give your heart to other than the true God is a false God or what we might call a functional idol. Something that functions like an idol in your life. If anything other than the true God has captured our hearts, that is an idol. Anything we set our hearts on, anything that motivates us, anything that rules us, anything we serve other than God is an idol. Now, for some people in John's time, and even in our day, that may be literally a statue or a, or made of wood or stone. Uh, at the time that John is writing this letter to believers in Ephesus, Many people living in that city worship the great goddess Diana. That's the context here. They believe she lives in the famous temple of Diana, right? And the temple has taken 200 years to complete, right? It's 420 feet long, 220 feet wide. It's a massive structure. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world at this time. And, you know, its majestic pillars saw 60 feet into the air. And in the center of this temple stands the goddess Diana, robed in, uh, in a veil of Persian silk. And people go there to worship Diana. Now, at the time John is writing, the worship of Diana has skyrocketed, actually. And some of the followers of Christ reading this letter previously worshipped Diana. That's the context. 
So when John mentions idols, I think this is the first thing that most likely comes to their mind. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. They're thinking, keep yourself from religious idols like Diana. The pagan worship of man-made gods of all kinds. Keep yourself from that. Now, this form of idolatry, religious idolatry, is still a problem for us today. Uh, there are many people still around today that worship idols. We find it in, of this kind. Um, figurines, in, we find it in Africa, in North and South America, Asia, and of course even in Europe. And of course the gr- global spread of Hinduism with its many gods means that nearly one in five in the world worship a man-made figurine of some sort as their god. Think about that. One in five people in the world worship a figurine as their god. But it's not just about figurines. When it comes to religious idolatry, all religious worship that does not worship the God of the Bible is idolatry. It violates the first commandment. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Now, when we think of religious idolatry, we need to remember that religious idolatry is not a bit of aimless fan. Sometimes we, we tend to think, oh, they worship that, or they're just misguided, and what's the big deal with that? But we need to realize that all false religions and cults, what they do is they practice the worship of demons. What they worship as a figurine is that it's got demonic power behind it. Indeed, when we read the Old Testament, we are seeing Israel constantly, you know, falling into these idols and God being not very pleased with it. What's going on there? Well, actually, the Old Testament is really a contest between God and the supernatural powers whom Christ conquers eventually on the cross. And so behind these demons is, behind this worship is these demonic powers. And therefore, when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, he says this, what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons, he says. So we must recognize that, that what is being worshipped in these religions is demons. This is the case with Islam. This is the case with Hinduism. This is the case with Buddhism. This is the case with Freemasonry. This is the case with paganism. This is the case with Roman Catholicism. This is the case with ancestral worship. And all other cults that are not rooted in the true worship of God. They are rooted in the worship of demons. The Bible is clear that there is only one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20 again there. And we know that the Son of God has come. By the way, verse 19 says, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies what? In the power of demons, in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come. You see, the whole world lies in the grip of idolatry, really, and worship of the devil. And we know, verse 20, that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is, that's the Lord Jesus, the true God and eternal life. Uh, John has already told us that Christ indeed is the eternal life. And then he goes to verse 21. Little children, in light of the above, keep yourselves from idol. He's saying, you got the real God, don't dabble in idols. 
Don't dabble first and foremost in religious idolatry. Now, when John talks about idols, he doesn't just have in mind religious idols. To John, there is an altar at the center of our hearts that cannot bear to be empty. We either worship God or something else for John. And we know this because First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 16 tells us that, doesn't it? That familiar passage, if you flick over, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world which is under the grip of Satan, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Loving the world really is um, worshipping the idols of our heart. That's what loving the world is. John Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is from his mother's womb, is an expert in inventing idols. Think about that. You are an expert in inventing idols in your heart. The heart, of course, is a seat of our emotions, isn't it? It is our will, it is our desires. And all human beings, as we said this morning, are born with sinful hearts that oppose the worship of the true God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our human hearts, therefore, are always eager to create new gods of any shape and form. And our hearts seek to enthrone these gods in our hearts, if you like, instead of the true gods. That's the impulse in every human being. Now, most of the idols that we enthrone are not made of wood and stone, right? The vast majority of our idols actually reflect our longing for comfort, our longing for security, our longing for significance in life. As I said, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. It is anything you seek to give, that you're seeking to give you what only God can give you. It is anything central to your life. So central that if you lost it, your life would not be worth living. And that means anything and everything can be an idol. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, which we just read there, John gives us examples of three things, doesn't he? That we are tempted to pour our love into rather than God. Did you notice that? Some people cling to the desires of the flesh, John says there uh, in 1 John 2, verse 16. They are seeking fulfillment in all kinds of physical, intellectual, and emotional pleasure instead of God. Some people worship the desires of their eyes. In plain English, it means the desire to get as much stuff out of life as they can. Accumulation is the God they worship. Some people worship the pride of life. John talks about that. The pride, he says that, isn't it? Pride in possession. 
their God is being proud of what they own and how people think of them. Now, when we give our lives over to these idols, whether they are idols of the flesh or the eyes of, of life in general or possessions, what we're doing is we are handing them the key to our heart. Right? And what happens is that we become possessed by them. Because we are driven by them, if you like, in everything we do. They, they use us, so we live to please them. We, we, we become driven to find satisfaction in them. We become their tools. It's quite interesting, actually. You know, if you become... It's interesting, you've got a mobile phone. If you're addicted to your mobile phone, you think... It's your two, but actually, you are the two. We become worshippers of our worldly desires and longings rather than God. By the way, just think of that. You know, in the Old Testament, it says, you know, everybody becomes the thing they worship. Think about that. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? That's the question, isn't it? You're worshipping your idols. You're becoming like your idols. And this is the issue, isn't it? We begin to structure our life our lives around those idols and our choices are driven and our need and our desires for benefits they, they all push us to become like the things we long for the tragedy when we think about idols is that we are often not aware of idolatry that's the difficult thing about idolatry if I went around and said what's your idol I'm not really going to get many answers back <laughs> because we are not aware of idolatry and that is because our idols do a good job of hiding their work and influence in our lives. One of the ways they do this, actually, is that they do this by convincing us that they are actually good things. And of course that works because many idols are indeed good gifts from God that we have abused. Money is a good gift from God if it's used wisely. But it's often abused, not to provide for us and bless us and bless those in need. Money is actually worshipped by people. It becomes their God. Children are a good gift from the Lord. The Bible tells us that. But many people worship their children. Their lives revolve around their kids instead of God. We can go on with examples. The point is we have a sinful capacity to turn blessings into idols. And we'll come later to understand, to ask ourselves where, how we can diagonize whether we are worshipping things, or even family or children. The point is we have this sinful capacity to turn blessings into idols. We tend to worship the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts, the Lord God Almighty, the true God of the Bible. This is who we are as human beings. This is our fallen impulse, which is idolatries. Our lives are full of idols. The world is full of idols. That's the first truth we are learning here. Because John is clear, little children, keep yourself not from one idol, from idols. Because the first truth he wants to teach us is that the world is full of idols. Truth number one. The question is this. They knew that. You know that this evening. I haven't so far told you anything that you don't know. You know that already. 
So why do you need to hear this this evening? Well, you need to hear it because of the second truth you you often forget. The second truth is that we are not immune from idolatry. So the world we live in is full of idols. And we need to remember, this is the second truth, we as children of God, little children as we are called here tenderly by John, ourselves, we are not immune from idolatry. That's the second truth. Truth number one, the world is full of idols. And the bad news for us is we ourselves, not just the world, we are not immune from idolatry. Notice verse 21 is not being given to tree-hugging pagans. This is not being given to a church that is not a church. This is being given to the church at Ephesus. Recipient, not only of these three letters, at least two of John's letters possibly, certainly this one, but also recipient of a letter to the church at Ephesus itself, recipient of the first two letters to Timothy, who was a pastor of the church at Ephesus, recipient of the letter from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. No church in the Bible has received more attention than the church at Ephesus. Those are the people he's writing to. People more holy, more dedicated to the cause of Christ than us here. They have been there, pastored by the Apostle John himself. Paul spent time there. Timothy pastored that church. And now he says to them, you are not immune from idolatry. Little children, keep yourselves from idol. What John is saying is implying that though as followers of Christ, we know the true God, we are are children of God, we are sometimes tempted to pollute ourselves with idols. And beloved, this becomes very obvious when you recognize that idolatry is not some other sin in your life. It's not like there's lying, gossip, hatred, and then idolatry. You should understand idolatry biblically as really every sin is idolatry. Every sin violates the first commandment. Why do I say that? Because sin is self-worship. That's the root of sin. It's self-worship. And it is also the worship of that thing we want instead of the worship of God. So we are worshiping ourselves as we sin, but we're also worshiping that thing. We're replacing that thing we want, which is sinful, with worshiping that instead of God. Now, here's a key point here. For those who are not children of God, this is very important we understand this. For those who are not children of God... The idols in their life take the place of the true God of the Bible. Okay? It's a direct replacement. But for true followers of Jesus, it is much more subtle than that. For you, if you're a true follower of Christ, your idols can never truly take the place of God in your life. That seat in your heart is that Christ has sat there permanently. It's occupied by him. He's Lord of your life. There's no doubt about that. Your problem is something different. Your problem is that your idols live alongside your true worship of God. So our problem as believers is not tree-hugging, if you like. 
Our problems is syncretism, which we've been talking about in the Bible studies. We are tempted to mix God with idols. Shocking. We have God and we bring idols along. This is a problem that they had in the Old Testament. They couldn't really abandon God, but they added God to the idols of the nation. Israel faced that problem. Syncretism embraces both the God of the Bible and another religion at the same time. It joins the opposites together. We become loyal to opposing values. And of course, as I said, we've come across this in Zephaniah, haven't we? The people of Judah were worshipping the true God and openly worshipping Molech. We have the famous example in the Bible, don't we, of the golden calf. I mean, you've got to study that carefully in Exodus 32. Because when Israel was led out of, the, uh, of Egypt, uh, they started doing this thing. Aaron's speech to them is that, look, it's not that this is different from what you're worshipping. He says, these are the gods that led you out of, the, of, 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 of Egypt. He's offering them Yahweh repackaged. In the golden calf. And of course we know the famous story of Rachel. Stealing the gods of Laban. Carrying them along. That's a picture for many of us. She wanted to worship God. Yahweh with her gods. And of course one of the things that. Happens later is that Jacob does something wonderful. Later on in the story. He gets all of them to bury their gods. So that they can start afresh. We know the story of Micah and his mother in Judges. We looked at that in Judges, I think, 17. The family at a shrine full of blasphemous God. But what's amazing about that is the offer that Micah's mom pitches to Micah is that make this shrine in honor of the Lord. So we see there that this is a problem for God's people. Our problem is that we are not immune to the temptation of adding idols on top of true worship of God. And that's why John is saying here, little children who are God's children, keep yourself from worship of Satan. Keep yourself from worship of anything that is not Christ himself. And we need to hear that. You are not immune from idolatry. Yes, I know you have no shrines of any kinds at your home. I'm confident of that. Otherwise, I think we just we may as well close the church and start afresh. We interview everyone for membership. I know you don't have those problems. Come on. Yes, you did not knowingly worship Christ by Borrowing pagan or occultic practices. We won't allow that. Right? Yes, I know you do not do yoga. I know that. You know it's satanic. I, I, I'm 90% confident. I still need to be checking carefully on this one. Because you know, mothers have got into this baby yoga business. That's satanic. Get rid of that stuff. So I'll, I'll say with confidence that you do not do yoga. There's no horoscopes, I hope, in your home. There's no word of faith stuff. There's no enneagrams that you are filling in. There's no hypnosis or any other kind of evil practices being promoted um, by the media. You have not taken these things on. And I know uh, you never take part in religious festivals like Diwali, Eid, or Halloween. 
you understand that is evil and sinful for a Christian to partake in such things. You know all of these practices are evil and cannot mix with Christ. But you and I still have the problem of syncretism. You are still often tempted to have not a Christ alone as we sang, Christianity, but a Christ and Christianity. Christ and another thing. There are many times in your life when you are tempted to believe that unless you have what the world has, you will never be complete in life. We say to ourselves, don't we, I need Christ and I need a perfect spouse to really be fulfilled or complete in life. And unless I have that, nothing will satisfy me. We never say it loudly, but it's at the back of our mind. We say to ourselves, I need Christ, yes, and I have him, but I also need everyone to see me as beautiful. And so we spend our day forever curating our Instagram and TikTok feeds with pictures and videos. We say, I need Christ and I need my health. And unless God gives me that healing, I will not be happy with my life. I will never be complete without it. I need Christ and I need that perfect job or to have an X amount of money in my bank account or to live in this sort of house or for me to be this fulfilled in life. Unless I have that, I won't be happy. Now, in all of these things and many other things, we do not replace Christ. We don't get rid of Christ. We don't turn our back on Christ. What we do is we, we add these idols, these longings to Christ. We, we choose not to let go of the grip of the world. We decide to live side by side with Christ in us. We practice spiritual idolatry. Adultery, I should say. We are already married to Christ, but we want other bells, other molecs in our hearts like the children of Israel. And we have to ask ourselves, why are we like this? Why are we like this? Because even though Christ has given us a new heart, a brand new heart, there is still remaining sin in us. And it's going to be like that, isn't it? Until Christ comes. Until we see him on that day. Sin is always going to be something we battle with. Yes, we are growing in putting it to death, but it's still going to be a challenge. Because there's still a fallen part of you that is tempted to think, shockingly, that the false gods or functional gods, these things that function as gods in our lives, there's a part of us that think that these things are more real than Yahweh. When you study the problem of idolatry, the real issue was reality. Israel wanted something they can feel and touch. And so Aaron gave them that. And this idea of felt needs, felt reality, means that it's something we're always going to struggle with as individuals, as long as we're in this body. And as long as God remains invisible to us, we always long to have something we can feel and touch. Even though God has taken on human flesh in Christ. You struggle, you see, because you think these things offer you a better deal than God does. Are you addicted to TikTok? Because there's a part, why are you addicted to TikTok? 
Because there's a part of you that thinks TikTok is a better God than the true God of the Bible. Oh, beloved, that's tragic. That's tragic. Why do you always find yourself trying to please people? You know, there are people who are always trying to please people. They can never give a rebuke. Oh, because there's a part of you that believes human approval is more rewarding than Christ. Other people are more real to you than Christ is. So, so there is the flesh at war against you, but it's not just the flesh. There is the world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, verse 19. So the world is, is, is working out to deceive you that you can serve Christ and your idols. It's saying you don't have to choose. You can have both. You can have the best life by embracing opposites. And sometimes you give yourself into this pressure, don't you? You allow yourself to live with divided loyalty. One foot in the world, one foot in Christ. You don't want to live the radical life. You feel the tension. I feel the tension. You all do. And so we give in. The bottom line is, idolatry is a problem, not just for the world, it's a problem for believers as well. And that's why John is flagging it up. So the question is, which we started off with, how do we respond then to this danger of idolatry? So the first truth we've learned is that the world is full of idols. And the bad news is, you and I, as we sit here, this is a problem for us. We are not immune to it. So how do we respond to it? What is the third and final truth? We must guard our hearts against idols. Little children, John says, keep yourselves from idol. You have a responsibility to keep yourself from idols. The original word here for keep, by the way, literally means to guard or protect. God wants all followers of Christ to fortify their lives against idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What John is saying, look, you must not be passive in the war against idolatry. Being passive grants idols a pass, as it were. God wants bulletproof protection around your heart. God wants security cameras, laser sensors, pressure monitors, thumb scanners, all of that stuff. He wants, to do, he wants you to guard the home of your heart with seriousness. Your heart must be like a a, a fortress, like the Bank of England, you know where the Bank of England keeps the gold reserves. It must have maximum, well, Christ is more priceless than the gold. So it must have have maximum protection. We must ask ourselves, why do we need to guard our hearts like this? Well, because we already have Christ as the ultimate reality. That's why there's 20... It's important to read verse 21 in light of 20. And we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We know what truth is. And we are in Christ. And Christ is true. And, and in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, Christ is the true God and eternal life. We have him. So why would we want to live or unto idols, says John? It's pointless. Don't do it. Don't sell yourself cheap. Don't sell God cheap. Keep yourselves from idols. How do we do that? Three quick things, then I'll end. How do we guard the heart from idols? The first thing we must do, the first thing we must do is that we must do the same thing 
that we do to resist the chief idolater, Satan. What is that? Well, according to John, is that we must use the word. We must know the word and use it. First John chapter 2, verse 14, um, it says this, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. How have we overcome the evil one? Well, through the blood of the Lamb, of course, with revelation in mind. But in John, we've overcome him through the word of God. Just as the Lord Jesus overcame Satan with the word of God, that's how we overcame. We are to overcome the devil. And that is the same way we are to overcome this grip of idolatry, that the, the scheme that the devil is running and wants to wrap us in. It is through the word of God. The way to defeat idolatry is to become a creature of the world. We must be like Bernian who, who bled Bibbling to quote Charles Spurgeon. The word of God must be in and through us. We must study it. We must hear it preached. We must give ourselves to knowing it as much as we can. We must not only know it, but we must seek to obey it. The word of God is milk for your soul. 1 Peter 2, verse 2. It is a seed for your faith. Luke 8, verse 11. It is a light for your path. Psalm 119, verse 105. When you read the Bible and hear it preached, it brings joy, doesn't it? Jeremiah 15, verse 16. When you study and memorize it, it purifies your heart. Psalm 119, verse 11. When you quote the Bible, it defeats your enemies. Ephesians 6, verse 17. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When you meditate on the Word of God like Joshua, it brings success. Joshua 1, verse 8. And we can go on. It's an infinite treasure. If you are going to defeat idolatry, give yourself to this Word of God. Read it. Study it. And take every opportunity to sit under the preaching of the word of God. There is no greater arsenal weapon you've got in your arsenal, as it were, than the word of the living God. But remember, this letter of John, and, and indeed the whole Bible, was written not to read the Bible as some sort of just newspaper or interesting news, disconnected events, that kind of thing. No, no. At the heart of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. It was written to keep us on the firm path in Christ. Second Peter 1 verse 19 says this, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star, the Lord Jesus, rises in your hearts. Psalm 119 verse, uh, verse 119 verse 105 where it's difficult quoting Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and the light to my path. The light of Christ. So, so it's not simply about clocking more Bible reading time. I'm challenging you here to read and pray the Bible in order to know Him, to know Christ. And read the Bible with Christ at the center. 
And if you want a little ad to help you read the Bible, in fact, I've just I've got some ad, some Bible reading ads. Matt Smith this book on reading the Bible, Nine Postures of the Heart. I've got small books there. If you want them, just speak to me afterwards. It's very helpful to read that because it's the only points you make. Read the Bible with Christ at the center. There are many things that can be provided to you to help you read. Just let me know. I just want to read the Bible better. What can you suggest? Talk to me. We'll provide that to you. If you want to sit down and study the Bible with me, I'm happy to do that. I'll find some time. Right? <laughs> I will. I will. I promise. Although somebody might say, but we're still waiting. <laughs> now, the point is, we, help is available, in all honesty. And I want to just want to emphasize, it's not about simply clocking more Bible reading time. It's about reading and praying in order to know Christ. Because if you have been a follower of Christ for a while, you know that your view of Christ tends to shrink over time. Right? If you don't spend time with Jesus, your view of Jesus tends to shrink. It's not that your theology itself drifts, but sometimes we tend to forget the wonder the majesty, and his work on the cross. And so what happens is that our faith weakens. Now, when we do not sit under preaching, when we are not spending time with the Lord Jesus, he becomes small in our eyes without being aware. You haven't backslidden. It's just like the wonder of who Jesus is is not dominating the way you are thinking and living your life. And so what happens is that soon Jesus is eclipsed by idols kept in the closet of your heart. And you start doubting him. Is this God really at work in my life? Is God working for me? Am I missing something? Am I failing in my Christian life? And that's because you're not as being in the word. And I just, I know in light of the previous sermons we preached, I, I don't lay that issue only on the foot, on your doorstep. The church has a responsibility to help you to do that. Keep yourselves. I love that. It's Prulo. Did you pick that up? We can be in this verse for a long time. Keep yourselves. We're going to endure it. Keep yourselves. It's Prulo. It's not saying keep yourself individually. We have a responsibility to one another to help each other in the world. And so, there is that. And we need to help one another to get in the world. Because the bigger and more biblical your understanding of who Jesus is, and what he's done on the cross, the more you love him and the more you adore him. And the more you grow to love him, the more the idols disappear. It's like this. Jesus becomes big, 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 and everything else becomes very small. That's essentially that. And so idols now are just like, what's that? I'm not interested in that. But Jesus is so big in my life. So the first thing you must do is to grow in knowing the word of God in a way that's growing your love for the person and work of Christ. Read the Bible, hear it preached, ask for help in the church on how you can grow deeper to know the word. Let the message of Christ, which we've been talking about in the last three, three, two Sundays, let it dwell in you richly. Read the word and read it with others. So that you can be, keep yourself from idols. The second thing, I've got two more things. The second thing is this. The second thing you need to do is you need to regularly examine yourself. Self-examination is so important. 
It is easy for us to get into the pattern of thinking idolatry is not a problem for me. And I'm sure some of you, as you've been sitting, you're like, well, I can't really think of any idols, but keep talking, right? <laughs> right? And that's because you and I are prone to pamper our idols and defend them as good things that I've said in our lives. The most dangerous idols are those that we easily Christianize. It is easy for us to defend selfishness as service. It is difficult to notice self-focus when it is wearing the clothes of love. Many of our earthly treasures are, 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 are more seductive when they are dressed up as spiritual needs. As Paul David Tripp says, idols do their nastiest work when they wear the latex mask of God. Idols do their nastiest work when they wear the latex, I can never say that word, mask of God. You get the idea. When they look like presented to us as the work, as God, in effect, at work. The point is that too often we think we are serving God when in fact we are serving us. So we are living for God when we're just living for us. And the problem is that we are convinced we are living for God. And so if we're going to, going to guide ourselves from idols, we must regularly examine our lives. I mean, how many times as parents, I just, I'm going off that, yeah, I need to finish. I always do this, but anyway, I'm going to do it. So, 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 how many times do we as parents, because I can speak to parents here, how many times do we as parents justify that we're just being good parents when actually we are worshipping our kids? We do. We think, no, this is the minimum they need. Uh, we do. There's so many things. And this is complex. This is a complex area. That's why we need to examine ourselves. If we are going to get ourselves from idols, we need self-examination. And can I just suggest a number of questions? These are random questions you could ask yourself. Uh, hopefully some will land, some you write them down or whatever, and you, they might help you. I think some of the questions I would want to ask myself is this. What, to, to work out if there are any idols hiding in my life. Which idols? There are always idols. Which idols? Where are they? To find them, right? <laughs> to find them. A couple of questions. Uh, what do, what do I want, desire, crave, or often wish for? Just asking myself that question. What do I want, desire, crave, or often wish for? Often, regularly wish for. The chances is there may be an idol hiding behind that. Because the chances that perhaps I'm looking for that thing because I see my security in that thing rather than in Christ. Is there anything in my life that I want, that I think I must have? That's a question, isn't it? Is there anything in my life that I think I must have? Not it will be good to have, I must have. Well, it's obvious, that's an idol. Must. That's an idol. He's saying I cannot be complete with that, that thing. What about this one? What do I fear to lose most? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What am I terrified of losing? What do I not want to happen at all costs? Think about that. That is your idol. What do I worry about often? That's an interesting question, isn't it? What do I worry about often? Or the flip side of that... What do I tend to daydream about? 
What do I tend to daydream about? There's an idol lacking there. What desires am I often obeying? Or who or what is ruling over my heart? And then we can examine perhaps our emotions. We can ask ourselves a question, what drives me to get angry? Think about the last time you were very angry. Something really annoyed you. What drove you to that? Because you see, anger often exposes what we are afraid of losing. Is it respect? Is it being thought well of? Is it something perhaps the bank stole from you or something? Anger often exposes that. Uh, Anger is exposing that treasure you have, the, the idol that you're afraid of losing. Or maybe you might ask yourself this, where in my life is there evidence of bitterness? Jealousy, envy, or sadness. There are often idols hiding underneath those things. You could ask yourself, where do I tend to seek refuge, safety, comfort, escape, pleasure, security? Where am I looking to escape? Where have you been spending a bulk amount of your time? What are you escaping to? There might be an idol like in there. And maybe just a final question uh, before we come to an end. What areas of my life do I struggle with sin in? Remember, sin is idolatry. There's always a connection between habitual sin and idolatry. So it's easy to find your idols if only you'd ask yourself, where are you falling into sin continuously? Now, it's often easier to see the idols of other people, isn't it? Instead of our own. So it is good to get other believers to help us with self-examination. Give yourself... Have someone who can give you that authentic feedback and allow that person to know you really well. I don't mean somebody you meet for a week and that kind of thing. Get on a journey of a lifetime (laughs) to have someone alongside you that's willing to give you that authentic accountability. And pray to God to send people that flag up your idols without worrying that they will lose you. (laughs) That's important, beloved. What you and I need are people willing to lose our friendship for the sake of seeing us grow in Christ. Oh, beloved, please, please pray for such friends because they are very rare. Most people we know just want to pump us. Well, we want friends, don't we? Who are real friends, biblical friends, Proverbs friends. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We need more people in our lives who are willing to wound us for Christ. Because they love us. I'm not saying, don't, I'm prone to say the wrong thing. So <laughs> I'm not saying we need people. Just, I'm, not, I'm not saying we should have people abusing us. I just want to make that clear. Okay, if anyone is here in this recording, no. <laughs> I'm just saying we need people who love us. But we need people who love Christ more than us, we might say. But actually, it's not possible to love Christ more and not love us in the sense that if they love Christ, they will have genuine love for us. And so we need people in our lives that are willing to lovingly wound us, I might say, for Christ because they love us. They want to see us grow in Christ. Don't pray for God to send you pampering friends. That means, actually, sometimes when we have people wound us, 
We may think we never want to have them as friends. But I wonder, beloved, is it possible that they are the friends we really need? Have you thought about that? Is it possible that they are friends we really need? If only we can recognize that. Because then we have people who are genuinely authentic uh, with us. Um, that's an important thought I think we need to think about and we all need to grow in. But finally, just be fervent in prayer. Fighting idols is spiritual warfare, isn't it? We need people. We need to be people of prayer and we need others to pray for us. We cannot obey this verse in our strength. I know it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. But if we just read it like that, we think John ends on DIY, you know, do it yourself. But that's because we haven't spent time with us in John. But if we had, we would know chapter 2 verse 1 says this, doesn't it? What does it say? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, what do we have? We have an advocate. An advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, praise the Lord for the advocate. Because even though we've been thinking about idolatry and the difficulties around that, and how we need to put that to death, first of all, Christ has put it to death for us. And in him already, we are covered by his precious blood. And so we are not trying to put idolatry to death in our strength. We are looking to Christ. He is our advocate. Are you struggling with any idol tonight? Of course you are. So the question is, what idol are you struggling with? Go to Christ, our advocate. Repent. Plead for his merit. Plead his never-ending help uh, in your area of your life. And let us give ourselves to help one another in this very difficult area. Amen.